1: The gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
2: Well, it's been a year and a half or so since Joshua Kutcheon joined us on the Paracast. He's always been one of our favorite guests. We like to say that when he's here, so he doesn't feel bad if we call him anything else. So <laughs> no, he wouldn't do it. We wouldn't do a thing like that, Joshua.
3: Trust me. You can call me anything except late for breakfast.
2: (laughs) Well, listen, you can call me anything but late for dinner. Fair enough. So, you've been always very busy with your paranormal pursuits. What have you been up to lately?
3: I am entering... An especially busy season of life, I think. I just today uh, finished writing a foreword for a new Bigfoot book that I'm really excited about. I'm not sure how much I can really disclose on the topic or the author at this point, but the thing that I find most exciting about it is that most Bigfoot literature that's out there is really obsessed with this sort of binary of does it exist or not, right? Like that's usually as far as the question tends to go. And this particular book that I just got done writing a foreword for It's more of a humanities-based approach to the question of Bigfoot. So there's a certain assumption that something strange is going on. And then what does that tell us about anything else. You know? What does that tell us about humanity? What does that tell us about the other things? It's, it's very much in the lines of uh, something that Dr. Jeff Kripal at Rice University would write or something that Dr. Diana walsh Pasolka would write, and I'm just really looking forward to seeing that out there in the world. It's not my book, to be clear. It's someone else's book, but I'm hoping to help shepherd it through the publication process as, as much as I can because I think it's a book that needs to be read. It's been a long time since I've read something that excited me as much as this particular book did. I just got finished with that. (laughs) I uh, am joining a paranormal research group uh, here in Georgia, uh, where I live. You know, a lot of what I've done has been more in the scholarly vein, and I have made an effort over the past year to get out into the field a little bit more. But I want to make it more of a regular, recurring thing. So that's something I've got to look forward to in the coming year. And the biggest thing that I've got on the horizon right now is I'm teaching a nine-class course online through the Cosmos Institute, that's Cosmos with a K, on the near-death experience, whereas most near-death experience courses would probably take a look at an an aspect of the near-death experience per class. We sort of try to get as much of that out of the way as we can in the first four or five classes, and then we end up going into these deeper realms in terms of archetypes and in terms of what uh, the near-death experience has to say about other contact modalities and other contact with non-human intelligences so i'm really looking forward to that that's uh, through the cosmos that's cosmos with a k so that'll be happening march 23rd we hope our listeners oh, don't time. tune in on march 24th and say
2: see what you missed <laughs>
3: Well, you know, I'm, I'm not sure exactly when enrollment closes, but I do know that the courses are also being recorded so that in case someone has to miss a class, they can catch up. So there might be a chance for some people to slip in under the wire after it starts. I'm not sure.
2: Well, certainly it's something that we should all check out because more and more, at least with UAPs and now apparently with Bigfoot, we see academic interest, which is important. It's not just people running around chasing weird stuff. It's trying to put an explanation to it if we can.
4: Right,
3: and and sort of wrestling with the bigger implications of okay, this thing exists, what do we do with it? You know, um, And I think it's been a really interesting time to be involved in these topics and to see how they've been embraced by academia. One thing I, I'm constantly making sure that I keep repeating as we continue into this UFO renaissance, I guess we'll call it. And, of course, I'm not very fond of UAP. I tend to be old-fashioned and say UFO and flying saucer. But one of the things that I keep trying to repeat is that as much as we like to look at the loftier implications of what the UFO might represent, it's still important to get your hands dirty and to go back into Tim Green Beckley's material and and the Jim Mosley stuff and, you know, people from, you know, your generation, Gene, because there was so much hard work that was done at that point. And there have been instances where I have seen people take an interest in UFOs and, and make these observations that were made by this older generation. And I'm like, just do your literature review first <laughs> before you get involved in UFOs and think you have something new to say. Read the literature, see what people have said, and then add to it. You know. So that's something that I really want to make sure that we keep in mind as we go forward is that we do stand on the shoulders of giants in this regard.
2: This is the problem I have with some people who are getting involved in this field. And I'll mention specifically one, Luis Elizondo, who got involved having some sort of position with the Pentagon's UFO program, one of their various projects. And now he's everybody's expert. But they never look at old sightings, or at least they don't do so publicly. Nothing to denigrate Elizondo, except, let's be fair, some people say that he kind of overemphasized his credentials when he was part of that
3: group. again, I'm a bit afraid that some of these older signals are getting lost in in the noise because some of these just because a, a case is old uh, doesn't mean that it doesn't have great importance on what the phenomenon might represent and something I something else I'd really try to un- emphasize to folks um, who are interested in the topic is that a lot of the folks in the disclosure movement are very much aware of how strange the UFO phenomenon is. And if you get disclosure and it doesn't include that high strangeness, then just be aware that it's a partial disclosure at best because there's the, the people who are who are moving behind the scenes um, are definitely aware of, of how strange this is and, and the deeper implications, implications even deeper than it being possibly extraterrestrial visitors, the deeper implications that are on the table as well. So that's something that I think is really important to remember in this disclosure season, you know, along with that healthy dose of uh, salt that we should take every claim with. Well, when Dr. Kirkpatrick left the
2: current AARO program with the Pentagon, he did say something in his text about things like possible interdimensional UFOs. I thought I was reading it backwards. But he'll say, of course, well, after all, there is no evidence that we're being visited by E.T. But then uh, yeah, you know, he yeah. never defines what that evidence is supposed to be with E.T. I'm really
3: glad that you brought that up. I'm really glad that you brought that up, Gene, because I've, I've noticed... Some wiggle room in some of these official statements where they say things like there 's no evidence of extraterrestrial visitation there 's always that extraterrestrial bit in there and it 's like okay, are we are we dancing around the actual nature of the phenomenon or are we you know or are we be actually being transparent because i 'm sure that a lot of these people issuing these statements are aware that there are a multitude of hypotheses uh, being offered, but you know the extraterrestrial one is the one that definitely gets the most press coverage but yeah it, it is it is an interesting time to be interested in this stuff, and it even in the short amount of time that I've been involved, um, compared to both of you gentlemen, um, the, there is something that feels a little bit substantively different about this. I mean, the fact that we're entertaining discussions of holographic interdimensional realities in Congress um, does feel a little bit different than past disclosure seasons from what I have read and from what I have you know, experienced in my brief time involved in the topic. Um, so I really don't know uh, where it's going to go. Um, what I've said to folks and, and, you know, predictions age like milk, right? So don't hold me to this, but um, I, I anticipate Emerging on the other side of this current disclosure season with a sense amongst the general population, very comparable to what the general population now thinks about something like the Kennedy assassination. Um if you talk to the man on the street, woman on the street, 15 years ago, they a lot of them probably would have said, oh, the official narrative behind the Kennedy assassination is true. And now I get the sense that if you approach someone in public and would ask them that same question, they'd say, well, ah, something strange went on there. Something strange went on there. But you know, as far as a definitive answer, they don't really have that. So I would anticipate if I had to bet, and again, like I said, predictions are doomed to fail, but I would have to bet that. We emerge on the other side of this disclosure flap with a similar sentiment among the public. And it's a shift from, you know, well, I think that UFOs are bunk um, to people actually saying, well, there seems to be something strange going on. And, and I think that I mean, that's still a significant win if you look at it, you know, historically. Um, but who knows? Maybe it'll be even more dramatic than that. Maybe it'll be less less impactful than that. I don't know. We've got Joshua Kutchen with Gene and Tim. You're in The Paracast.
2: Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. Once again, theParacast.plus. Prices are just dollar fifty a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out the Paracast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. It's easy to see. We're
5: being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines. Instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families, we all know something big is coming. And that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming more self reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is the nation's largest emergency preparedness company, and they make it easy for you to prepare. Prepare today. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. MyPatriotSupply.com. Do you know someone with a drug or alcohol problem? Get help now. Insurance may cover everything. Stop the drug and alcohol nightmare.
1: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
2: Now, it's not that our pop culture isn't conveying the image of possible multiple realities. I mean, the superheroes are running all into different realities. That that movie version of The Flash, he goes back in time to change the fate of his mom who was murdered. As a result, he screws up reality. They had a feature in the DC Comics called Elsewhere, which was also done on TV, where they have multiple versions of the same character and all sorts of things like that. So it's not as if this isn't being presented. A few years ago... They actually had a version of Flash Gordon, not like the old Buster Crabbe serial, nor they actually had a show in the 50s on TV that lasted for a season or the comic books or the movie, where Mongo, where the places he travels to, are located in another reality. So this dimensional portal thing is, is not unusual. It's uh, obviously something that happens.
3: Yeah, it's interesting to see the discussion shift in alignment with the way that pop culture is going. I mean, in my limited interactions with people on the topic, because I don't necessarily go around broadcasting my interest in UFOs, but in the past several years, whenever the topic has come up around people outside of this context, I've been consistently... Impressed by the number of folks who say, I don't think that they're extraterrestrial, I think that they're interdimensional. And I don't know if that's an influence of pop culture or not, but I think it's an interesting shift in the way that these topics are discussed. You know, I'm sympathetic to the interdimensional idea. A lot of what I talked about in my last nonfiction book, Ecology of Souls, was all about the connections to death, and I think it takes very little imagination to conceive of the afterlife as being another dimension. In fact, there was a a great exchange between Hans Holzer and Brad Steiger that I included in the book where Holzer's saying – oh, I think that these, you know, UFO beings come from the afterlife. And Steiger says, well, what about other dimensions? And Hans Holzer says, and what might be the difference? Pretel?" <laughs> so, you know, I think that it's sort of kind of angling in the same direction of, of some of the stuff that I'm looking at, with the obvious you know, intellectual honesty that I have to have when saying, you know, maybe I'm completely off base with some of my observations as well. It's an interesting time to see that discussion shift from this sort of 1950s sci-fi angle to more of a derive I say fantasy angle of the UFO phenomenon.
4: It really is just a matter of words, isn't it? That discussion between Holzer and and, and Steiger, I mean one person's other dimensions is another person's astral uh, vibrational plane.
3: Yeah, and it sort of underscores something that I like to think about a lot. As evidence from the cover of the first volume of Ecology of Souls, I have often taken, I made it a habit of listening to the lectures of of Terence McKenna, and he was always underscoring the importance of language and in, in terms of the way that we wrestle and grapple with reality. And I think that, we're all trying to grasp at describing something that probably eludes the ability to be categorized in those terms. I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is the fourth podcast this week that I've done, and I think I've brought up this particular meme on every single podcast, but I'll bring it up again because I love it so much. There is a meme that, that circulates online, y'all have probably seen it, of a person with a hammer down by the beach and they're hammering into the tide that's coming in and each of the nails says language and the tide says reality and i just love what that conveys about how really clunky and clumsy our tools for describing just the basics of existence but you know especially this more anomalistic phenomena can be
4: i love that meme i know exactly which one you're talking about
3: <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> yeah yeah it's the gift that keeps on giving yeah mm-hmm.
4: It makes me think. Also, I'm currently working on a book about the mysteries of of time, and uh, one of the chapters that I am working on deals with the various groups in Europe in the late 1980s working with um, ITC. I think that's right. <laughs> now. Yeah, it, well it, it's
3: it's like a, it's like a more robust version of
4: EVP, EVPs. EVPs, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You using rather than just tape recorders, all kinds of different technologies, especially television and video screens, one of these groups allegedly was communicating with their spiritual equivalents on the other side called TimeStream. And TimeStream said that they were from like the third level astral plane and that they existed on a planet called Marduk, that had a giant river running through it. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with too much science fiction, but it's an almost exact description of Philip Jose Farmer's river world novels. Mm. but uh, <laughs> uh, the 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 people in Luxembourg, especially, were receiving uh, video images. Uh, From this other side, not only of the people involved or the entities involved, but also images of uh, this river world. And, of course, this was before, you know, the Internet, and uh, 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 they were using um, televisions not connected Mm -hmm. to an antenna and on uh, uh, static channels and things like that. Uh, But um, the descriptions of this afterlife, and you'll put quotation marks around it, is just, you know, so fantastic as compared to some of the others that come down to us from, like, near-death experiences or even some of the other more, uh, uh, like, you know, channeled uh, communications. And, you know, back to what we were, you know, uh, saying before, I mean, you know, what is, you know, like, one person's afterlife Compared to another description of, you know, another dimension or or another reality, because even though that these people were very much involved in thinking that they were communicating with a spirit world, the descriptions and images coming down to that to them seems completely different than what they were expecting. Those are. <laughs>
3: fascinating points <laughs> and i have so much <laughs> that i i, I kind of want to say off that i mean the first one is i mean yeah it, it's it's always astounding to me to look through these different interactions be it you know some of the contactee literature of going to these planets or the near-death experiences or some of some of these shamanic journeys or trips to fairyland it's a lot of the there are a lot of similarities between the ways that this this space again having trouble putting a label on it is is described. Um, but but, the, but there is a consistency in terms of being you know oftentimes pastoral and sometimes having these these boundaries these boundary points like you know uh, bridges and, and rivers and things like that but I find it Perhaps most interesting that sort of allusion that you made to it sounding like a a um a landscape from a work of fiction and you know i I apparently traffic in unpopular interpretations of these phenomena, so I might as well throw another <laughs> idea onto the pile um an idea that I've been really really fascinated with in the past i would say probably for, uh, four or five months um is this is this interplay between uh Story and, and reality and fiction and reality and it's 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 not necessarily a, a new idea because you can find antecedents for this in the work of, um, Anne Druffel and Ginny Randalls and you know I know Greg Bishop has been talking a lot about this idea of co-creation but it's it's a
2: little bit distinctive from that. More
3: creations
2: with Gene, Tim, Joshua. You're in the Paracast. <laughs>
7: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNLive.com today.
8: I had no idea it would destroy my life, but before it happened, I had a successful business in Austin, Texas. Everyone laughed at me when I shut that business down, but I could not ignore the wake up call. USA News update.
6: I think this was a crime of opportunity. He did not know her at all.
8: New information from University of Georgia Police Chief Jeff Clark about the suspect accused of killing a University of Georgia nursing student who was out for a jog near the campus
6: in the town of Athens. The investigation suggests that they had no relationship.
8: Records show the 26 year old man, an illegal alien from Venezuela who crossed into our country back in 2022. Chief Clark saying the man faces a a long list of charges this by the way the first murder on the uga campus in 20 years classes canceled until monday in other news polls are open in south carolina voters casting ballots in the republican primary former president trump has been campaigning in the palmetto state along with former south carolina governor nikki haley and i'm laura winters usa news
0: wellness and self-care doesn't have to be complicated
6: yours free at mysolarbackup.com
4: This is Jacques Vallée you're listening to the Paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio.
2: Now in looking over alternate theories of course there's co-creation from Greg Bishop, which I don't think is mentioned much nowadays, which is kind of unfortunate.
3: It's. it's I think that Greg still has plans to uh, write a book to that effect. Uh, I think it's a great idea that's worth exploring. But, you know, it, it does have these sort of older antecedents. What I think is really interesting is is there was a comment that was made by, by my uh, friend who is an occultist by the name of Wren Collier, and he has arrived at the conclusion, at least for the time being, right? Because our opinions of these things often change. But he arrived at the conclusion that the spirits that he deals with are comprised of pure story. And that observation really made me start thinking about the ways that these narratives sort of take on a life of their own. Again, not quite co-creation because that's more tied up in cultural expectation, but story implies that you're accessing this realm of things like archetypes. And it also implies that there is some sort of agency on the behalf of the experiencer to sort of guide the narrative of their experience. And that certainly would be something that we would see in the contactee movement more to the point I think this idea of fiction and reality blending, not only do you see a lot of antecedents for it in indigenous thinking, you know, depending upon the particular region, but it also sort of speaks to something that I have concluded myself about, you know, these phenomena, which is that they are neither solely um, physical nor psychic. Again, not a particularly revelatory observation, but… You know, anyone who says that UFOs don't have a physical component is not telling the truth because we have things like burn marks and we do measure effects from, from these things. But also people who tell you that they're um that they don't have a psychic component is overlooking, you know, the vast amount of literature that involves telepathic communication, even when someone's just seeing something as benign as a light in the sky that sometimes reacts to, to thought. So the idea that I'm I'm playing with is that this sort of tension between reality and story is is, is an expression of that physical, non-physical, or physical-psychic dichotomy. You know, we see this with ghost phenomena, perhaps most explicitly, where ghosts don't have any real material, tangible aspects to themselves, but they can leave footprints and and slam doors and things like that, or psi phenomena, which is internal, right, by definition, but also seems to interact with the shared consensus reality. So I think that's what this idea of story and reality is is sort of pushing me towards, at least. And I've been wondering more recently whether or not human beings are predominantly in the physical with a foot in the psychic, and UFOs are perhaps predominantly psychic with a foot in the physical, if they're not sort of a mirror image reflection of us in that sense. Again, this is all speculative, but um, I think it's something that will be interesting to explore.
4: I like that idea. I like that idea of story. And it makes me think all kinds of, of different tales and mythologies that have come down to us through the ages from, <laughs> from everybody. I mean, to me, that makes a lot of sense. You know, it's just, you know, you talk about this and the light bulb has now just gone off over my head, you know. (laughs) Well, I mean, so uh, this is sort of
3: plays in, again, it's it's sort of adjacent to co-creation theory, but it's also adjacent to ideas of tulpas and egregores. And, um, you know, what I think is really interesting about some of these tulpa manifestations, the most famous examples, I think of, you know, the example of Alan Moore and John Constantine or... Neil Gaiman, I believe, encountered some of his characters as well. In in these cases where these specific characters from fiction and I need to do more research in this regard, but I, I have the sense that in the cases where these specific characters from fiction are sort of leaping into reality, they are being seen by the creators. They're being they're being witnessed by people to whom their very existent is, existence is very intimate. Like, they owe their existence to that specific person. Which might explain why we don't see tulpas of Luke Skywalker and uh, Ellen Ripley from the Alien films, is because while those are loom large in the popular consciousness, um, the primary person to whom those should appear would be George Lucas and Ridley Scott, respectively. And then, of course, you know, you get into things that have this, that are part of that sort of, pop culture consciousness but they have a significantly deeper time depth like santa claus and that could be why we do have reports of santa claus is because that is that that's functioning at a level of intimacy almost that one would experience um with something being one's own creation now of course this particular idea that i'm playing with runs afoul of of instances like uh, Slender Man and some of these more modern Internet creations. But again, I, I think that in those cases, a lot of the people who see those things aren't aware that they originated on the Internet. So they're being presented to them as sort of a, an older phenomenon that might have some reason why they're making that jump into re- our reality. Again, just an idea that I'm playing with, but I think it's really interesting because I feel like it relieves some of the pressure on a lot of the inconsistencies that we see with UFO phenomenon. And it really does nest things like hoaxes within part of the phenomenon as well. I mean, we've known for a long time that hoaxes seem to play a part in the way that these things manifest, one of my favorite books on that topic is George Hansen's *The Trickster and the Paranormal*. But I think that this might be a way of sort of broadening and deepening that connection a bit. So I don't know. I'm interested to sort of look into it a little bit more if I can ever if
4: I can ever find the free time. Maybe
3: I'll I'll tackle that next. Well, the hooks
4: in aspect um, comes to us from both sides, though, so when it comes to uh, these types of, of paranormal encounters, uh, like. Oh uh, uh the spirit communications uh, like I was referring to you know uh, earlier there's a lot where the uh the people who are doing the work are get, are just getting all kinds of great information i mean you know it just flows like it's coming from an encyclopedia names dates places in the past where these entities supposedly uh existed yet when anybody goes and does the research none of it was true Yet, I mean, it's just yeah. like, you know, it, it's just like these things were just, uh, I mean, you know, this, just pouring out this information.
3: Yeah, that, the good examples of that would be, um, you know, The the Siren Call of Hungry Ghosts, that particular book by uh, Fisher. Mm-hmm. I can't remember his, his first yes. name, but that's a perfect example of something that seemed to be quite real, but not all the details could be verified. And, you know, if you want to look at something like the Philip experiment as it was conducted, where this ghost was made out of whole cloth by a group of parapsychologists and answered these fictional questions correctly, I think that does speak to that as well. And 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 even when, you know, we have some tantalizing clues here and there that this is something along the lines of what the phenomenon is doing. I mean, one of my favorite quotes ever is from the Shermer abduction, where, you know, the entities told the abducted police officer, um, we want you to believe in us, but not too much. I mean, that sounds like... To me, that sounds like again the the story coming to life, you know. Um, but I don't know. It's this this sort of brings in questions as well as to how much of of these phenomena exist outside of you know the the, the eyewitnesses themselves. You know? Like how much of this is is generated by the percipient? Um, and you know, I I think that I think that to really truly grasp that. We probably need to overhaul our understanding of things like the physical and the non-physical, and the the real and the the fictional. Um, yeah.
4: Well, I wonder myself. Um, when you talk about that? Because you're, you're correct. You know, a lot of these experiences uh, tend to happen to mostly uh, you know uh, somebody alone or maybe two people at 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 most within the the field of influence and whether or not our reality is quite as stable <laughs> as we like to think it is <laughs> right. i mean you know our minds work very hard to to keep the material world material but i wonder if it really is as stable as we like to think it is <laughs> well it is our um
3: are we governed by laws of the universe or, you know, strong suggestions <laughs> of the universe? <laughs> and again, you know, going back to going back to Terrence McKenna, one of the things that he speculated was that, um, you know, our regular natural waking reality was perhaps as psychedelic as these other spaces that he went to.
2: We'll okay. get more with Joshua, Gene and Tim. You're in the Pericast. <laughs>
7: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
4: If you love mysteries, you'll love these two books by Tim R. Swartz and Sean Castile. In Mimics, The Others Among Us, you'll learn about the strange beings that can look like us but are not. In Alien Artifacts, Incredible Evidence of Exotic Material from UFO Encounters, you'll see the hard evidence of UFOs that has been ignored or even hidden. These books will definitely blow your mind, and both are now available on Amazon.com.
9: created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices. Our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition and a portion of all sales is contributed to veteran nonprofits and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD and overall well-being. Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium cbd by simply paying shipping and handling at gcnfreecbd.com that's gcnfreecbd.com again gcnfreecbd.com offered by veterans vitality premium cbd i need help with my taxes where can i find free tax help
0: if you make fifty four thousand
3: dollars a year or less you can participate in the irs volunteer income tax assistance vita or the tax counseling for the elderly tce programs IRS-certified volunteers provide free basic tax prep for low-to-moderate-income taxpayers. The TCE
0: program is specifically for taxpayers age 60 and older. Go to irs.gov and enter
3: free tax prep in the search box to find a VITA or TCE site near you.
8: Hey, Jimmy, turn off the video games. Let's go play some ball.
5: I'm in the middle of my game. Can't we go later?
8: Come on, it'll be fun. It'll be there when you get back.
5: Okay, but there's no way you're going to win.
8: Why don't you grab some water and granola bars, and then we'll see about that.
5: You can make a difference. Eat smart, play hard. And when you do, your kids will too. A challenge from USDA.
4: Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia
2: and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. All sorts of fascinating discussions. Joshua Kutch and Gene Steinberg, Tim Swartz. Joshua, you brought up very briefly Terence McKenna. Can you amplify that, please?
3: Yeah, well, one of the things that I've, I've found interesting as one of the ideas that he put forward is that our waking consensus reality is as psychedelic as uh, some of these other spaces that he was traveling to and, and carried with it some of the um, lack of logic and nonsensicality of those other spaces. But the only reason that we are able to navigate this reality is because we are stuck in it, and we have had the chance to navigate it so much. So I kind of wonder sometimes if that doesn't speak to the fact that that these are all sort of a continuum of different realities as opposed to separate spaces.
4: But we see all the time in our own reality and, you know, all the things that we're talking about uh, today and on, you know, all different episodes of the Paracast, just uh, really how fluid, -fluid. (laughs) non-fluid, I don't know what the term would be, but just uh, our reality can be, you know, just as strange and uh, unstuck as uh, you know, some of these uh, psychedelic or astral realities. <laughs> yeah, it's almost
3: as if things tend to be causal, but don't have to be causal. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is the sort of thing that I I really love about the UFO is that it it does challenge these conceptions that we have about you know our existence. I think if it's if the discussion is heading in the direction that I want to. I find these deeper questions to be infinitely more rewarding than a lot of the technicalities that we find ourselves enmeshed in. There's still a place and a need to discuss things like crash debris. I have my own opinions on what that might represent. But at the same time, I think that the the real power of the ufo is the fact that it is a confrontation to everything like i don't care what your belief system is i guess unless you believe in ufos wholeheartedly but it will always confront something it will confront your fear your loneliness your spirituality your science your social structure it, it confronts everything and i think that sometimes i wonder quite frankly that that might not be the purpose of the ufo as i've said in some recent uh, conversations, like I look at the UFO and I'm not always sure that there's a there there, but I know that there's a there here and I see the influence that it exerts on my life. A good example of this is that I, I found myself interested in things that I probably would have never come to if not for the UFO topic. I mean, there's that famous Ami Michel quote that he had in conversation with Dr. Valet, which was, um, UFO study is not necessarily scientific discipline as much as it is an initiation. You start out looking at burn marks in the ground, and you end up reading about ancient Arab mystics. Um, and And I love that idea because I've seen that play out in my lifetime and time again. A recent anecdote that I use is uh, – I found myself at a children's museum with my twin boys, and I was stuck in an exhibit that I would not normally have found that interesting. I think it was probably the geology exhibit. And, you know, some people are really into geology, if that's your thing. I'm not trying to take it away from you. It's just it's never really been something that's grabbed my interest. But as I stood there in front of this exhibit, I was able to not even consciously make a connection to something which made a connection to something which made a connection to some sort of other paranormal, supernatural, UFO, cryptid topic. And it made that moment and made that display, that exhibit, so much more engaging for me. And so there has been sort of a degree of personal alchemy that I have experienced in looking at these topics that have made me, I think, you know, a, a better rounded person. And has sort of rekindled an interest in a lot of these things that I normally would have dismissed quite quickly.
4: And that's absolutely the type of discussion that makes a lot of scientists pull their hair out (laughs) when it it comes to this kind of stuff, UFOs, paranormal phenomena, I mean, especially the materialists who see no connections like that. And I think that's the beauty of our minds working in this reality and possibly other realities is we're able to grasp these concepts along those lines.
3: That's part of the reason that I've gravitated towards framing the UFO, not within astronomy or you know physics or, or science, but rather through religious studies and, and looking at it through that angle. Because, if again, if you talk to the experiencers, they don't seem to be especially enamored with the details of how these things get here. They seem to be more interested in those profound implications about the human soul and, and our, our role in the cosmos and those sort of things. And those are also the messages that the UFO occupants consistently deliver. Now, whether those messages are benign or whether they're filled with lies from the occupants, uh, that is up for interpretation and debate. At the same time, it does suggest that we are, are dealing with something that has priorities far beyond some of these very technical details.
4: I think it was uh, uh, Jacques Vallée one time coined a term for that type of information coming from the other side, especially you know, UFO occupants, in uh, uh, communication with people. It was logic. It makes no sense to us, and maybe it makes no sense, period, but it supposedly is to plant that seed to make you look beyond then. What are, you know normal <laughs> causal uh, effect logic? I'm I'm sorry, I'm, I'm grasping for words. No, no here.
3: I, I I completely understand what you mean. I mean, you look at some of these messages that are delivered, and they they read like esoteric religious texts or something, mm-hmm. or you know uh, Zen coens or something. And I think that that I think that that's important. At the same time, you know, to that extent, if if we are to compare the UFO phenomenon to centuries of interaction with spirits and that's definitely a perspective that i'm sympathetic to you look at the work of someone like emmanuel swedenborg who was still exerts an influence on the way that we think about the paranormal today who famously said that you know uh, spirits lie <laughs> they they very rarely tell you the truth um there's always some sort of ulterior motive at play you know which which arguably is um you know, consistent with fairy folklore as well. But the fairy folklore doesn't include lies so much as it in, includes uh, creative interpretations of the truth. You know, <laughs> like the old uh, the old occultist's mistake. They conjure a spirit and they say, "Make me a ham sandwich," and poof, the occultist <laughs> turns into a ham sandwich. You know. <laughs> so yeah, there's there's some some playful manipulation and obfuscation uh, that always tends to go on in these contexts. But that doesn't mean we can't sort of take a look at that and say, okay, well, there seems to be some sort of motive here that doesn't necessarily align with this Bud Hopkins, David Jacobs interpretation of the phenomenon.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these communications are never just straight out providing the information that is being sought. Uh, uh, it's it's always a mash of gobbledygook, basically, uh, and you know you were talking about the spirit communications. I mean, you know, the earliest alleged. Communications with extraterrestrial beings was through channeling, automatic writing, through spiritualist mediums. I mean, back into the uh, uh, at least uh, the 19th century, and probably even further back than that. Yeah, and, and that's something
3: that I always try to emphasize too is that you know the the um, the genealogy, if you will. Um, the legacy of ufology is is really a, a spiritual discipline. I mean, it's, it's, it could very easily be seen as an outgrowth of theosophy and spiritualism. It takes very little imagination to see that. In fact, a lot of the, um, early, the, uh, the early early uh, contactees were, you know, basically spiritualists. I and mean, you look at someone like Wayne Aho and the way that he was describing the phenomenon. Um, you know, it's interesting that you have been working on ITC because um, that's the Sarah Step stuff, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, so in, in terms of how vague these messages are, I sometimes wonder if there isn't some sort of interdimensional gag order <laughs> going on here. <laughs> because, you know, Sarah Easteb had those, you know, really eerie and chilling voice recordings from uh, Constantine Raudet after his death. You know, these answering machine <laughs> recordings. And um, they're 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 chilling and they're eerie to listen to, and they seem to offer some sort of confirmation of the survival of consciousness but it's also like constantine couldn't you have like spilled the beans on all the mysteries of the universe from your position in the afterlife like couldn't you have given us more details other than hey we did it good job thanks sarah bye (laughs) which is basically (laughs) the gist of those messages so it seems like um i kind of wonder sometimes if there isn't um there, there is the, the, the requisite permission has not been granted from any of these things to disclose the exact mechanics by which they work. or you know, speaking of language like we're talking about, maybe it's impossible for these entities to actually describe the nature of reality, the nature, their own nature in words that would make sense to us in given the restrictions that we have on language.
2: We'll have more languages in our next segment. We hope it's friendly language with Jean and Joshua and Tim. You're in the ParaCast.
7: You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com dot com today.
2: Hey, listeners. the Plus to learn more about Paracast Plus.
7: Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, the dead doctors don't lie guy. And there's no reason why you shouldn't live to be at least 100 and have a great time getting there.